Hey, Leah. Hey, Fallon. And hey, listeners. Uh, We are the hosts of a podcast called The Secret Life of Canada. We are a history podcast. Yeah, and we've covered topics, things like the gold rush or the bay blanket. Yes. Kind of unconventional stories, though, that you might have missed in your Canadian history class. So we're here to uncover those secrets. That's right. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You are listening to Alone, a love story. I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 25. Lost. Dating. It's 2016 now. Four and a half years since the husband dropped the bomb on me. Nearly three years since I first laid eyes on the man with the white shirt. I still do date, sometimes. Because although the man with the white shirt is the one I love and want to be with, I also want a love that doesn't need to wring its hands so much. A love that puts all its money down on one horse. I want monogamy and commitment. The two things he can't give me. The only way for me to find it, then, is to meet other people, to go on dates with them, to have sex with them, in order to really know if they could be the one. Or at least the one for now. I'm not searching for forever, you know. I'm searching for right now. I mean, forever is great if it happens, but forever is why people in monogamous relationships struggle. I should know. I was married once. Forever is a scary thing to consider. It's crazy that we vow to do it at all. We should vow to be kind to one another, to respect each other, to not forget desire and laughter when we're on the hamster wheel. For as long as we're together, let's commit ourselves to these good, attainable things. Because forever is a lifetime. Living up to it is the real wrench in relationships, not the need to fuck other people. Look, I get polyamory works for a lot of people, but for me, it doesn't. And yet, I have to do it anyway. As long as I'm dating, my love life is non-monogamous. I am non-monogamous, even though I don't want to be. It's that or celibacy. These are my choices. Dating is hard. It can feel like an endless rejection loop. The ones you like don't like you. The ones that like you, you don't like. It's like high school all the fucking time. What's so fun about that? Everyone is playing, playing it cool or playing themselves up to be more than they are, playing that they're breezy when they aren't, playing that they're smarter than they are or dumber if you're a woman, since we need to play down how smart we are a lot of the time. There's the game of texting to play, exhausting and confusing, especially when you're juggling more than one person. There's the juggling, remembering who said what and which person you saw that movie with and which one is the one who... 
It goes on and on. But I have to do it if I want to find a committed relationship. So when I meet interesting people, I ask them out. I schedule them between single parenting and loving the man with the white shirt. There have been a few times I dated guys that wanted to be in a relationship with me. And I wanted to give them a chance, even though I knew right away I wasn't totally feeling it. I hoped I would feel it in time. I wanted to believe I could. But something was missing, even though I liked them so much. In those situations, I was the one who didn't want monogamy. I wanted to keep seeing them and the man with the white shirt, and maybe even one other person. Who knows where I found the energy or time. I don't know why I didn't feel passion and excitement for these guys. These wonderful, smart men that wanted to give me what I say I want. Is it that I'm most attracted to the ones that make me feel crazy with desire? The ones whose passion is at a 10? The ones who say they love me but can't be in a relationship? Am I not able to feel love when it isn't torture? Or is it just that I was stuck on magical thinking? The deep belief that the man with the white shirt was worth the suffering, worth the wait. That I could write our happy ending. I let the fairy tale in my head overshadow some good chances at reality, ignoring what I really wanted in favor of pixie dust, dark eyes, and a prayer. Careful. The ex-husband stands in my doorway. He seems so big in the small space, here between two doors, my apartment behind one and his freedom behind the other. Bertie's on the floor between us, playing with the cat. She's nine now, long and lean like him, but with a big, bold heart like mine. I say something to him in our own language. That way we communicate with phrases and expressions and smirks only we can understand. It excludes the rest of the world, including Bertie, who tilts her head quizzically, like we really are speaking a different language. The ex-husband smiles at me, boyishly, almost shy. And I can't get over how much I suddenly want to kiss him. How much I just want to put my hand on the side of his face. I will not do these things. Not anymore. Not here, between two doors. Not anywhere. Our bodies have made no contact for more than a year. For some reason, we linger. 
We have nothing to discuss, so there's no reason for him to still be standing here, but he is still standing here. I don't make any move to suggest he shouldn't. We linger, making the smallest of talk, having the smallest of laughs, silently acknowledging the energy that still exists between us. He should probably go. Yes, and so he hugs Bertie goodbye, saying, See you in eight days, as cheerily as he can muster, even though it's so hard for both of us to ever be apart from her for very long. Bye, Dad, she says, and takes off to her room. His face as she disappears. My heart falls a little with it. We stand there alone, together, awkwardly. Our arms slightly touch, and we hug, a thing we don't do anymore. My hand flies up to his face on autopilot. I feel his skin against mine for the first time in a very, very long time. Be careful, I say to him. I don't even know why. But he smiles as if he understands. Okay, I will. I love you, is what I mean, but don't say. I don't say. Your love split my heart open like an axe, but all that did was make more room inside of it. The Constant. I'm in the basement level of the hospital. The man with the white shirt is with me. We're here for my yearly MRI. He's packed an entire bag of supplies, as if we're going away for the weekend. He's got his laptop loaded with episodes of the old TV series Lost, which we've been binging together obsessively. He's got a two-liter bottle of water, two sandwiches, and a chocolate bar. He covers my cold, exposed legs with his jacket. He tells me I look sexy in my paper gown, and even though I roll my eyes and say, okay, we both know I like it. He does a little low growl in my ear and pretends to try and get under the gown, slowly running his fingers along my thigh. I pretend to push his hands away, and we laugh, sweetly, the way joking lovers do. He nuzzles my neck, he tucks my hair behind my ear, he kisses me, and it is all just as it should be. This. This is the way love used to feel. This is how I want love 
to feel. Love sits with you in the basement of a hospital at 2 a.m. Love tells you how much you're adored, even when you've got bags under your eyes and you're wearing a paper gown. Love keeps your bare legs warm. It comes back here with you year after year with varying arrangements of snacks so you never have to do this alone again. Love waits with you. Hey, Leah. Hey, Fallon. And hey, listeners. Uh, we are the hosts of a podcast called The Secret Life of Canada. We are a history podcast. Yeah, and we've covered topics, things like the gold rush or the bay blanket. Yes. Kind of unconventional stories, though, that you might have missed in your Canadian history class. So we're here to uncover those secrets. That's right. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Wanderlust. I spend a lot of time thinking about wanderlust. The roaming spirit. The desire to move from one place or person to the next. To never sit still, settle down. Why do you always love these baby birds? My friend the bright one asks. When you're a tree with your roots dug in, you know those birds are just going to keep flying away, then come back, sit on your branches a bit before flying off again when a warmer breeze comes by. I laugh at her poetry, but she shakes her head at me. She knows my deal. She knows I like to have my roots so deep you can't dig them out. Roots so big they start to squeeze out sewage systems, burst through pipes. And yet, I fall for men made of wanderlust. Men that live so far into the unknown future, they can't enjoy what's right in front of them. Men with roaming, roving hearts. Meanwhile, my own expansive heart just keeps on expanding until it's the size of the world. So big, I can keep them with me wherever they go. To the sea. Summer 2016. I'm off to Italy again. 
This time, on my own, a totally different experience than last time, in the year of the bomb, when I went with Bertie and my niece. This time, it's all about going out for expensive drinks and dinners, night after night, with my friend, the expat journalist, who's been living in Rome for the past few years. She's Italian-Canadian like me. Unlike me, she's young, thin, and living a happily single life in the country of our blood. Each day, she rides off to work on her cute Italian bicycle, dressed stylishly and never seeming to sweat. Fuck you, you never sweat. Fuck you, I do so. Whatever. Okay, have a good day at work, see you at dinner, I love you. Okay, love you. This is how we talk to each other. This is why I love her and have missed her back home where we used to work together and she was the only person that seemed normal. Normal because yelling, because swearing, because Italian. Anyway, here we are in actual Italy and she goes to work each day and I'm alone in the city, a city I love, a city I don't mind being alone in at all. All I do is wander. I walk and walk for hours. Watching people, talking to people, getting lost. I get lost a lot because I like to think I know where I'm going in Rome and sometimes I do, but a lot of the time I don't. I refuse to pull out my phone to look at a map or even to look at the paper map I have stuffed into my purse. What? I don't want to look like a tourista. So I get lost. A lot. But it doesn't matter because I have no plans and no one to worry about. I can do whatever I want at whatever speed. This is when I'm truly happiest alone. Wandering city streets, soaking up the smells and sounds and color all around me. I'm truly happiest alone when I'm getting lost. It's really fucking hot though right now, even for Italy in July. There's some kind of record-breaking heat wave happening all across Europe, and it's like 50 degrees with the humidex. I love the heat, but even for me, it's a bit much. My dress is soaked through, and I need to find a breeze. There are no breezes on the tiny, crowded streets. So I head to the river, stopping at a little stand to buy a rice ball that's as big as a baseball and a peach that's even bigger. At the river, I climb halfway down a steep set of concrete steps, then sit on a flat section overlooking the water. There's no one around, except for a man in a business suit at the bottom of the steps, who's picking up rocks and throwing them into the water. He's not even trying to skip the rocks or anything. He just pitches them hard, one by one. It's strangely cathartic and lulling to watch. I wonder if he's okay, even though I feel sure he is. Sometimes you just need to hurl rocks into the Tiber. I'm sure he's not the first. 
So I just eat my gigantic arancini and watch him. Eventually, he stops. He wipes his hands on a handkerchief, then stands perfectly still for a second, staring at a boat going by. When he comes up the steps, I realize how handsome he is and how fancy his suit is. As he passes me, he tips his head and says, Salve! in greeting, as though I haven't just watched him have a controlled midday meltdown. Facaldo oggi! he continues, fanning himself with his hand for extra emphasis. Si, si, ma troppo, I say, hoping I sound Italian enough. Yes, uh, he's very hot, he answers. Very hot, huh? We laugh in transatlantic agreement, and away he goes. I continue to sit and look at the river. Yes, I'm on vacation in Rome, and I could be looking at a Michelangelo or shopping at Fendi or whatever it is regular people do on vacation here, but I'm sitting on a concrete slab, feeling the breeze. For the first time in a long time, I feel content, fortunate, satisfied. I feel absolutely okay with not having someone to share this moment with. I feel okay. This is the beginning of a very different me. A slow return back to the me I used to be a long, long time ago. Back when I traveled on my own without any hesitation. When I used to be totally comfortable sitting in cafes alone for hours. For the past four years... It's been a huge deal. The lonely grabbed hold of me and held on tight. Only now, here, across the sea, do I start to wrestle free from its grip. A month later, it's the same ocean, but on the Canadian side when Bertie and I go with my friend, Solo Time, to Nova Scotia. We stay at her parents' cottage for a week, perched on a windy cliff overlooking a harbor where the tide comes in twice a day. It's one of the most relaxing weeks of my life. I lie on a lawn chair in the sun playing guitar for hours while Bertie and Solo Time read. We nap each afternoon underneath billowing curtains, we searched the shore for beach glass. We'd set the table for dinner and clean up afterward. We sit around bonfires and listen to tall tales. We fall asleep to the sound of waves crashing right outside our doorstep. When the tide is out, the three of us walk out as far as we can along the muddy ocean floor. It's amazing to think we're even doing that. Bertie is so happy here and solo time also an only child, is relaxed and content here back home in Nova Scotia with her parents. I feel good to be witness to other people's happiness, to be part of it, to be at peace with the present. I think of the man with the white shirt every single day. Don't get me wrong. 
I miss him and dream about him and have so many stories I want to tell him, and there are so many gifts I want to buy for him. But just like in Italy, I'm okay being here in this beautiful place without him. I wish he was here, but I don't long for it. His absence doesn't get in the way of my enjoyment. Both sides of the Atlantic have mellowed me out this summer, and I feel good about how far I've come. I no longer have to fill the empty spaces inside me with empty experiences. I don't need to numb myself with alcohol and one-night stands anymore. I don't have to try so hard to make love happen so I can get over white shirt. I don't have to try so hard to control what I can't control. And most importantly, here in the summer of 2016, it finally doesn't feel like something is missing when Birdie and I are together. It feels whole again. Nothing is missing. All we need is for me to be present and grateful and hopeful and alive to the now. The tide goes out but it always comes back in. You can swim over top the exact spot you walked on earlier that day. That's just how it goes. In and out. You're listening to Alone, a love story. Written by me, Michelle Parisi. It's a CBC podcast. The story editor is Mark Apollonio. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Mark here in our hometown of Toronto. Head over to cbc.ca slash alone. If you can believe it, I still have a lot more to say about each episode. More stories, a lot about music, and photos too. You can also find me on Twitter at AloneCBC. Stick with me. I want to tell you about the moment a lot of you are waiting for. A big declaration from the man with the white shirt. Hey, there's another CBC podcast I think you should check out. The Secret Life of Canada. A quirky peek into the corners of Canada's hidden history. Subscribe to it today. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.